The deeper we move into this pandemic, the more it seems that people are losing heart. Whatever relief we may have thought would come from turning the page to 2021 has yet to materialize. The beginning of this year feels a lot like, well, the end of last year. And just when it seems we're making headway, someone moves the finish line. How long, we wonder? How much longer will this go on? And it's hard not to be discouraged. So, not surprisingly, as I was making my way through our New Testament reading plan, the first verse of Luke chapter 18 jumped out at me, as Scripture often does, when it seems to relate more directly to something that we're going through. And he, that is Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Here Luke is writing about an interaction between Jesus and his disciples, and what we know is the parable of the persistent widow or the unjust judge. But what I want to do with this text, not the parable, just this one verse, is make a few broad observations. The first, and maybe one that's so obvious that we could look right past it, is that Jesus cares about the spiritual and emotional well-being of his disciples. He tells this story for their benefit. He tells a parable to help them, and he does this because he cares. Certainly one of the thoughts that can come crashing in on us in challenging times is, does God even care? In seasons of prolonged suffering or times where injustice appears to have the upper hand, we may begin to feel that perhaps he does not. I remember conversations with my grandmother in her later years, similar to conversations I've had since with many elderly people who have more to look forward to in heaven than they do on earth. A strong believer, she would nonetheless say, I think the Lord's forgot me. Now, intellectually, she knew that this wasn't true. Nothing is ever lost on God, and God never loses anyone. But it's a feeling, isn't it? A wonder, a doubt that inserts itself as we try to make sense of the real trials and sometimes the seemingly pointless portions of this life. Does he care? Yes, he cares. He's mindful of us, the Bible says. His eyes are never not on us. The hairs of our heads are numbered and known. Every heartache and tear is seen by God and beyond that, not only seen, completely understood. Every challenge that we face is fully appreciated by Jesus because he has walked in our shoes. He was tempted, the Bible says, and always as we are. And so he sympathizes with our struggles and he cares. As most of you know, I was blessed to grow up in this church, in a music-loving, hymn-singing church. It's one of the reasons I, I'm sure that I cling to hymnody when others may want to move on or replace it with another style. The hymns, in my mind, are just too rich to abandon. And I'm not saying, by the way, that they were all hits, mind you. Some of them have rightly found their way to oblivion. It's where they belong. But I remember the words of certain old hymns like, Hopefully our kids today will remember the words of songs like Cornerstone or 10,000 Reasons. And one such song in the red hymnal for you longtime UBCers, I know and I've quoted this before, but it fits here. One of those songs I remember is called Does Jesus Care? Does Jesus care? 
when my heart is pained too deeply for mirth or song, as the burdens press and the cares distress and the way grows weary and long? Does Jesus care when my way is dark with a nameless dread and fear? As the daylight fades into deep night shades, does he care enough to be near? Does Jesus care when I've tried and failed to resist some temptation strong? When for my deep grief there is no relief, though my tears flow all the night long? Does Jesus care when I've said goodbye to the dearest on earth to me and my sad heart aches till it nearly breaks? Is it aught to him? Does he see? And then there's the refrain, oh yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary, the long nights dreary, I know my Savior cares. Go ahead and insert what you're suffering with that this hymn writer didn't mention and ask yourself, does Jesus care? The first thing we find in Luke 18.1 is the answer to that question. He most certainly does. And because he cares about the emotional and the spiritual well-being of those who love him, of his disciples, he tells a story. And it is kind of Luke to tell us what Jesus intended to be the result of sharing the story. He had two related goals in mind. One, that his disciples would always pray. And two, that his disciples would not lose heart. We don't even need to know the parable to know what Jesus wants for us here. He wants his followers at all times to pray. And he doesn't want them to. The King James Version says faint. He doesn't want us to faint. The root word means to be weak or to be weary or to fail. Thayer's definition is even more descriptive. To faint is to be utterly spiritless, to be wearied out, exhausted. Have you felt this way before? Do you feel this way now? In his letter to the Galatians, the Apostle Paul wrote, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up, or as the King James Version says, if we faint not. Friend, we would not need these exhortations from Jesus or Paul if it weren't distinctly possible, common even, for believers to lose heart. Each of us is susceptible to growing weary in this world. Even Christians get tired and discouraged. Being a disciple doesn't mean we're tethered to the mountaintop experience and never see the valley anymore. Being a lover of God does not mean we won't from time to time feel disheartened, dispirited, dejected, and depressed. In fact, several of the people we might associate with godly greatness, with victory, with faithfulness, suffered these afflictions. From relatively recent history, I think of Charles Haddon Spurgeon, known as the Prince of Preachers, whose personal battles with melancholy are known to us because he was honest enough to share them. I recently heard that Spurgeon, who was a successful preacher by all accounts, pastor, renowned speaker, seminary founder, and teacher, prepared his letter of resignation 32 times in 38 years of ministry. If that is accurate, then nearly once a year, Spurgeon was ready to throw in the towel. If you're ready to throw in the towel too, at least you know you're in good company. 
Believers and people who love God get discouraged. How stalwart does King David, a man after God's own heart, sound in Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice, because I am shaken. How long, O God? You know, the fact that God did not omit this lament from his hymn book, that he is not just chalking this up to David having a bad day or being melodramatic, gives us a clue that it reflects something common in the human experience. Life can be hard, and life often is hard. And it takes no special insight whatsoever to see that this world is broken. The proof is all around us. Indeed, the proof is in us. In fact, Jesus promised that in this world we would have trouble. And so we are regularly, you and I, at risk of fainting, of becoming weary as we try to run the race of faith. So what shall we do in our neediness the scriptures encourage us to pray peter would say that we should cast all our cares on him cast all our anxieties on him because he cares for us james will say is anyone among you suffering let him pray paul will say continue steadfastly in prayer being watchful in it with thanksgiving King David will say in Psalm 62, Trust in God at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. And Jesus tells a parable. So his disciples would at all times pray. If you wish to be among those who do not lose heart, who do not faint, then make it your habit to pray. And when I say pray here, I mean really pray. Not now I lay me down to sleep praying. Not touching base with God once in a while. Not giving him a nod before we nod off. But really praying. Consider from the scripture a few examples of what might happen when we pray. The psalmist in Psalm 73 was wallowing in self-pity. He's looking around at the prosperity of the wicked and becoming envious. They live a life of ease. They get what they want. They do bad things and they get away with it. Why should I bother to be godly? He wonders, why should I bother to be holy? It seems like all I get is trouble in this life when I try to do what is right. My feet almost slipped, he says, and I would have despaired until I went into the sanctuary of God. It was there in God's presence and that's what prayer is. It's coming into God's presence. It's practicing the presence of God. It is there that he discerned the true end of the reprobate. Where he was reminded of the eternal fate of the unfaithful. Where he came to terms again with the rightness and the goodness of God. He almost fainted. He almost quit. His thinking was distorted. His spirit was nearly crushed until he drew near to God to see clearly again. In prayer, we draw near to God. 
The book of James tells us to do this and it attaches a promise. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. This drawing near has the implication of sidling up to listen. We don't just draw near to God to tell him what he already knows, but to listen to what he has to say about it. And in prayer, he meets us and helps us to see more clearly either the issues before us or the God who is walking us through them. In prayer, we find a proper view. But that is not all that prayer affords. It is often by prayer that the harder obstacles, the entrenched patterns, the demonic influences in our lives are overcome. When Jesus came down the Mount of Transfiguration, you've read about this now in three of the four Gospels, he was immediately confronted by a controversy. His disciples could not cast a demon out of a young boy. So Jesus took control of that situation and he expelled the demon saying what? This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Well, clearly there is power in prayer. And that's part of what Jesus will get into in this parable in Luke 18. If an unjust judge is going to listen and answer, how much more will God, the perfectly just judge, hear the appeals of his children and act on them? One reason that we pray is that God is listening. Another is that God answers. E.M. Bounds, a renowned authority on prayer, actually offers four reasons to pray. Writing four things, let us keep in mind. God hears prayer. God heeds prayer. God answers prayer. And God delivers by prayer. In prayer is the power to drive out, to overcome evil. And also the power we need to resist it, to keep it from overcoming us. Just before his crucifixion, Jesus went to the garden to do what? To pray. And he took Peter and James and John with him and he told them to do what? To watch and pray. And why should they pray? Because both Jesus and they were about to face spiritual warfare like none they had ever faced on this earth. Maybe, maybe you're feeling that these days. Maybe you're feeling the battle. If you are, remember, before you blow up a relationship, before you burn a bridge, remember that you're not fighting flesh and blood, but your battle is a spiritual one. Before you say or do something that you cannot take back or that you would forever regret, remember you are wrestling against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Jesus and his disciples are fighting cosmic forces. The gravity of this situation is known to the Lord. And he had told them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified and he will be raised on the third day. The gravity of the situation was known to Jesus, but clearly not to his friends who could not stay awake. And finding them sleeping, Jesus said to them, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. But they were tired. 
Their eyes were heavy. They didn't stay awake. They didn't pray. Sometimes it's easier to sleep, especially when we're really wiped out. But prayer is one way to keep the evil that we are bent to do at bay. And don't misunderstand me. Prayer is not a guarantee that we will win every battle. But prayerlessness is a virtual guarantee that we will lose more than we ever win. In the garden, the disciples did not do as Jesus told them. They didn't pray, and as a result, what happened? In their time of testing, they fell. If you are being tested these days, if you are being challenged these days, if you are stretched these days spiritually, then acknowledge that, and for goodness sake, don't fall. Don't do what the disciples did. They, they caved into temptation. They betrayed their Lord with their behavior. When the crowd came with clubs and the cover of darkness to apprehend Jesus to a man, the disciples all deserted him and ran away. Because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And the flesh wins when we don't pray. That's how important prayer is. And that is enough for today. Child of God, whatever you are going through, Jesus cares about it. And he doesn't want you to lose heart. So talk to him in prayer.